0: Let's get it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Let's get it. Let's
1: get it. Uh huh. Rockin' Royal. Uh-huh. Rockin' Navy. Uh huh. Know y'all with me. Uh uh-huh. Let's get it, baby. Uh-huh. You hear the Rockin music. Uh-huh. You hear the drum beat. You uh-huh. hear the players and their hype track. let Shout out to Cody Epp. Shout out to we Malik Moore. Uh, go find them on uh, iTunes, Amazon Music, wherever you get music. That's Rock and Royal. Uh, and this is the Cougar Beat Podcast for Thursday, September 27th, 2022. We're going to talk about the short game week. It's game day. It's game day. BYU and Utah State, 6 p.m. Mountain Time on the UNO ESPN. And... I've been removed enough from Utah State lately that I brought in a man that I consider the foremost expert on all things Utah State athletics and Aggie football in in general. And no, I'm not talking about Blake Anderson. I'm talking about his right-hand man, uh, (laughs) the man who used to live in Vegas with me for several days at a time. We won't go into that any further, but from KSL.com, Jacob Nielsen, say hello to the fine people.
0: Fun people. How's it going? Happy to be on the show. This is going to be an exciting game day. Sean, thanks for having me on, man.
1: Happy to be on this little thing that we call a podcast. Happy for this thing called game day. Yeah, it's game day, man. I I, got to admit, Jake, I... I have feelings about certain rivalry games. We won't go into others because I know there are a lot of feelings, both from BYU fans and Utah State fans that might be tuning in with other in-state rivalries. So I'm not going to name anyone specific, um, but I love, I love wagon wheel game day. I love this game. I love this series like a lot. Uh, it's BYU's second most played series all time behind, obviously the university of Utah officially dating back to 1922. Uh, B Y U holds a four a fifty thirty seven and three record in that series. This will be the ninety first meeting for the old wagon wheel, and let's start right there, Jake. How do you feel about this
0: this rivalry series? Are you like our uh, I mean,
1: fans up in Logan? Are they looking forward to it as much as I am?
0: Yeah, I mean, outside of the the biggest rivalry in the state, the S U Dixie game. I mean, this is this is right, what it's all course. about, right? I mean, the wagon wheel is uh, it's what gets people out of bed in the morning, especially up in Cache Valley. Uh, This year, it's a little bit different because the news isn't, oh, here's this big game. The news is more, how does Utah State have such a terrible team? And, oh, no, now we have to play BYU. But people still get really excited about it. Obviously, um, the fan base on campus, I know plenty of people who are going to be driving down, skipping class Thursday afternoon to try to beat traffic and get to Provo for this one. So still going to be lots of enthusiasm, even if uh, prior results this season maybe don't uh, make make that so. So
1: I, I sincerely hope so. I want to see a lot of Navy blue at Lavelle Edwards stadium this mm-hmm. Thursday night. Um, and yes, Navy blue. I want to see a lot of Navy blue and gray because BYU fans are going to be in their Royal. Uh, it's a Royal game on the BYU uniform schedule, which is as it should be Utah state Navy BYU Royal there. I said it hot takes can't take it back. It's on the internet. So it's true um
0: sorry about that but Sean let me let me ask you something real quick I haven't been to BYU game in a couple years but growing up in high school and stuff my my idea was when they started doing the royal was it just turned into this hodgepodge of white navy and royal so if there was a royal game it was like a like a rainbow of different shades of blue and so with that Utah State fans just kind of blended in the mix has that changed at all are people more committed to the royal in the so stands? Or...
1: Officially, officially, BYU has like a color code where they go. They're they're essentially limiting themselves to navy blue, royal blue, and white. Like that is their uniform palette, and then they can mix and match different combinations there. Why did they go from royal to navy back in the day? I mean, there are historical reasons that BYU will point to. At the end of the day, uh, and it's a really long story, so I'll just say a lot of it has to do with Nike. Nike wanted BYU and Navy. Um, And so they played in Navy a lot more. Um, If you look at like the old Royal blue uniforms, they're also like, not like the true Royal. Like if you go CMYK them, Pantone them together, they're not like the Royal that they play in right now. So it was a little bit more towards Navy, but that's getting really into the weeds and we don't need to do all of that. (laughs) The end all be all is Nike had a pretty big say uh, in all of this. And Utah State coincidentally, is also a Nike school. So like sure. maybe it was the same CMYK that, uh, that Phil Knight Inc. decided to push on both schools. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but it's on the internet now, so it must be true again, right? <laughs> uh, Jake, let's talk about the Aggie some. Because uh, Utah State's coming into this one, one in three on the season after an incredible year last year in Blake Anderson's first year up in Logan going on, winning the mountain West conference, beating Oregon state in that LA bowl. Uh, he signed a, I think it was a two day, a two year extension after that, that automatically kicked in and was triggered. Um, just fantastic results in year number one, really rejuvenated that fan base. I think it was kind of needed after a couple of down years, but man, like this one and three start, it includes a loss to Weaver state, which we can get into if you want to, we don't necessarily need to, but, uh, like this one and three start. That's got to be a little bit rough. Maybe a little bit like what was expected last year in your number one for USU.
0: No, yeah, it's definitely been disappointing, and it's kind of the past decade for Utah State has gone like this a little bit. It's been one of the winningest times in Aggies' history, but they have a great year and then they followed up by um, looking a little underwhelming. It happened in 2019. Jordan Love was coming yeah. back. They had a Heisman campaign, and then they finished One the month. year. Yeah, that's right. And they finished the year seven and six lose a Kent state in the bowl game. So this has happened before, but this is just to another level, right? Because the high was as high as it's ever been winning the mountain West and also beating two power five teams in a season. And the low is losing to Weber state. Right. And then losing the UNLV last week for the first time since 2008. So um, it's, it's, this has happened before just, it's just magnified on a greater level. And also I think, uh, the the honeymoon period with Blake Anderson lasted a really really long time because they just won right, yeah, and so everyone win. loved them. And so this is just it's been a major whiplash, definitely for the fan base to see just such an awful start that it's been. And there's certain reasons behind it, but at the same time, everybody thought this team was going to be better, except for maybe Bill Conley at ESPN. He somehow his projections always has. <laughs> Yeah, he's in the the bottom quarter of the FBS. And he's he he did just... not
1: like. He did not like even last year. Like Utah State's uh, SP plus rating was not great. Uh, I think he attributed it to a lot of luck. Their luck rating was really high. But uh, yeah, the the numbers did not like Utah State even hey, last it's,
0: year. It's nothing personal. It's just just the algorithm, right? It's just the
1: algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just the algorithm. Shout out to the algorithm, the nefarious algorithm. Uh, numbers don't lie, except when they do. And sometimes numbers don't lie, but they can't be manipulated. Um, that wasn't a shout at Bill. I, I promise. I, I actually really appreciate his work. I, I think it's very good overall, but yeah, but yeah, you're totally right. Um, you are absolutely correct. So maybe a little bit of regression to the mean on this year in some ways uh, with one and three, obviously, you know, you would hope that that mean doesn't include going forward, losing to Weaver state every year, but I would argue maybe, um, And I think UNLV is pretty good this year. They seem to have figured some things out, maybe not everything, but some things out. Uh, I would argue that maybe that UNLV loss was maybe a lot more indemnifying for the Aggies than even that Weaver State loss. Uh, Just because you do have a little bit of a rivalry element with Utah State and Weaver State, you know, uh, Jay Hill has had that program. It is still an FCS program, but it has been trending upward for a while. Uh, UNLV was felt like a shock in a lot of ways just because the Aggies I think have kind of controlled this game this that series for so long right
0: yeah it wasn't a shock in the idea that like UNLV was the favorite going in and stuff but looking just bigger context it was a shock like oh man now now the Aggies are losing to the Rebels right and I mean credit to Marcus Arroyo he uh he went his first two seasons were just awful down there at the new allegiance stadium with the rebels but they seem to really be kicking it into gear this year and there's some chatter that they might make a run in the pacific division in the mount west because it's it's such a down year and then jay caner with fresno state he's out for the foreseeable future so they're saying hey the rebs why why can't they step to the plate and so it'll be interesting to see later this year if if that loss how bad it really looks you know because the ulb could go on a run but then they could also digress to their regular shelves and miss a bowl game again. So we'll see how that happens. But certainly you do not want to open conference play with a lot a loss of ULV, especially when you look at their upcoming schedule because after the BYU game, they got to play Air Force and then they play Wyoming on the road and it's never an easy game in Lairdice. And so it's yeah. going to be uh yeah. So starting 0 and 1, losing to the reps, not not a great start, even if uh they might be a little bit better this year.
1: Well let's turn our attention to Uh, tonight's game, the Thursday night game, BYU and Utah State. This one feels a little bit like a tale of two quarterbacks to me. Um, I I know we talk about quarterbacks a lot just in college football in general, but with these two programs in particular, so much has been quarterback based. And I feel like we have two um, very big storylines involving the presumed starting quarterback of each institution. We'll start with Jaron Hall at BYU, who has been, you know, pretty good. I think coming out of the gate, uh, he's been all right. He's coming off a game where he completed just eighty-one percent of his passes against Wyoming. Uh, he's uh, one hundred three for one hundred forty-four in four games in this his redshirt junior campaign, what a lot of people expect to be his final season in college path in uh, college football. One thousand one hundred sixty-four yards, seventy-two uh, percent overall completion percentage. This is the one that I think is the, the one that's the most impressive, though nine touchdowns with just one interception what's the vibe and the feeling coming out of uh, Blake Anderson and the Aggies about stopping a guy like Jaron
0: Hall I mean they know that this is a dude that not only doesn't make mistakes but is able to exploit the mistakes of opposing defenses and it, it's it's interesting because Jaron Hall's uh, he's faced the yeah, Aggies before not last year but way back in 2019 he cruised up to Logan and that was when uh, they put, put the herd on the Aggies that, to snap that two-game losing streak. Um, and so, I obviously, this is probably the best quarterback outside of Bryce Young that the Aggies are going to face this year. And they know that they the, – the concern is they've been so mistake-ridden, more so on offense, but even on defense, with some disciplined things. And they know that if they just – if they, they keep that up, it's just not going to be good news. And Jaron Hall, really, he's going to – have his way. If the Aggies do some of the stuff that they mistakes they made in the Weber State game and the Yukon game where they just uh they were out of position, they over-rotated over anticipated things and he just takes it with the PBU and stuff. Um it could be a long night. Like Darren could really have his way. So they gotta Aggies got to play disciplined football against him because that's what Paul's going to present, right? And they're gonna have to somehow manufacture some turnovers. But to your point, Paul just has that one turnover in the South Florida game and nothing sense. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can uh, really unsettle him.
1: Yeah, one turnover, and if you believe Aaron Roderick, offensive coordinator at least, uh, he fully took responsibility for that pick. He said he called the play. Jaron didn't necessarily want to go through the play, but he threw the ball anyways, uh, and the DB made a, made a nice play, jumped a route, uh, kind of came out of, an, came out of the end zone to, to stop. I think it was the only truly halted drive at South Florida and really the only one of the very few miscues that this offense has made certainly in the passing game all year um, right there. So yeah, I I think you're right. I think stopping BYU, if you're an Aggie fan, it definitely has to start with Jaron Hall because they haven't had great run production for the last couple of games. I know they had a nice breakout game from Miles Davis in the second half uh, against Wyoming. So that maybe should help them some, but even with their run troubles, Jaron Hall has just been so in command of the passing game that if, if you're a Utah State, you, you probably really need to focus on that a lot, in addition to doing what you can against a run game that's been mediocre and or anemic at times, uh, for sure, out of BYU. On the other side of the ball, uh, let's let's turn to Logan Bonner, shall we?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, he uh, there's no other way that- to say he just... He hasn't yeah. been good this year. You know, he's... Yeah,
1: 753 total yards. That's 87th nationally in the FBS, which is something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, Tied for six, tied for 69th nationally. Nice. With six touchdowns. Uh, and one of the worst quarterbacks in the football bowl subdivision with eight interceptions. Now that number is maybe a little bit deceiving because five of those did come against UNLV. Utah State was chasing that game for a lot of it. Some of the throws were obviously still ill-timed and whatnot. Um, But, you know, when you're chasing the game, you're going to take maybe more risks than you necessarily need to as a signal caller. But what, I mean, let's just start with him, Jake. Like where, where do we go with, with Logan? Because he came in last year, followed his old coach, Blake Anderson from Arkansas state really assumed the starting job looked so good last year in winning a mountain West title. Um, And, uh, you know, he's a 50% passer and or just over 50 something percent passer, whatever it was. Um, And uh, and now all of a sudden it just feels like he's kind of a different animal from a year ago. Is that is that accurate?
0: Oh, that's uh, that's very accurate. He looks like a different player in a lot of ways. And you got to bring up his he tore a sale in the bowl game last year and has been rehabbing for that. And so that's an important thing, aspect of it. But what's interesting is the message has kind of switched. And I don't know if uh, that's because his knee's fully better now, but the message at the beginning of the season was, oh, hey, he's settling back in. He's still a little bit injured and rehabbing. And then all of a sudden, after the Weaver state game, the message was, oh, he's healthy with his knee. He just psychologically is going through it a little bit. And so, I mean, both those things could be true to an extent. But I would, one thing that I would would point out, uh, throw a little bit to the blame of someone that isn't Bonner, is I don't know if the coaching staff has prepared him very well to succeed early on with how they've handled it because if it's true that he actually is healthy and he's good to go out there, they haven't really treated him like that. Because in fall camp, he had very limited reps, right? And then even the first game of the season against UConn, limited reps, Calvin Tyler Jr. had more rushes than Logan, Logan Bonner had passes. And then in the Alabama game, they took him out in the second quarter. So if he really is healthy, they've been coddling him like he is injured, right? And so then you throw him against a really good Weber state defense and he got exposed. I granted it is an FCS school. So that's a little bit of a defense to Bonner with uh, kind of the coaching staff. If he actually is healthy, why weren't they treating him like it? Right. And so then on the other end, it doesn't look like he's healthy. Like he doesn't look confident throwing the ball. His knee is not very planted. So he's selling these throws and stuff. And so if he's not healthy, why are you playing him when you have all these other studs behind him that can produce right so it's kind of the it kind of just doesn't really make sense in a lot of ways i i will say bonner he had some of his best throws of the season against unlb he had a he finally had his three biggest pass plays for 44 yards 40 yards and 39 yards one of them a 39 yard touchdown to to terrell vaughn and so he still has his arm talent that he had last year but i, I mean his his knee his decision making is poor he's really forcing it and there's other issues there with play calling and receivers not getting separation but at the end of the day like if you're throwing five interceptions in a game two of them were at the end of halftime and the end of the game and so they were more of he's but three of them were in-game scenarios where they were moving the ball down the field and then he just he just blew it right he just did not read the coverage right and you that's just it just can't happen right and that's in some ways that's not a talent thing that's just a decision making thing and when you're the six-year quarterback you you can't be getting fooled by fake coverages where they just rush three and they draw back their linebackers and and they get it and so that's been probably the most frustrating thing is if he is really healthy he's still making these mistakes that don't have anything to do with his knee he's just making poor decisions out there Yeah.
1: And that's, that's a really good point too. Also about, about the coaching staff is, is you had not only after last year, did Blake Anderson obviously get rewarded as a head coach uh, rightfully. So, but he kept his staff almost entirely intact, you know, offensive coordinator, Anthony Tucker is back uh, along with the uh, DCE from Banda and, and, you know, most of the rest of the assistant coaches, they're all back. They all know kind of what kind of a player Logan Bonner is and, and, maybe more importantly sort of how to bring him back from an injury like that. So certainly, you know, players make plays at the end of the day, you don't want to throw, you you don't want to completely take accountability away from them. Um, But the coaches probably do have a a fair amount of responsibility to do assume with, especially when you have a quarterback coming off of a pretty brutal knee injury and whatnot and a knee injury where let's use that as a transition, if we will, um, Utah State sends in the backup and all things considered played pretty well. Right. So what's the depth chart look like behind Bonner? If whether it's, you know, whether whether it's Bonner, maybe can't play further down the road or if he gets hurt in this game, heaven forbid, knock on wood. Right. Um, Or even if they just need to bring in somebody else, maybe to run different packages, wildcat or, or whatever it is. What does, what does kind of the depth chart look like behind him?
0: Yeah. So the the number two guy right now is Cooper Legaw. and Cooper Legaw, is he's a Orem High native. He was the quarterback of Puka Nakua, and he uh, he's gonna he's have a lot of guy. fans
1: in the stands tonight, in, or uh, yeah, tonight in Provo. Uh,
0: yeah, he he definitely will. Yeah, he'll have plenty of support, and he's yeah he's somebody that we saw the most that we've seen from him isn't spring ball. He played in the most of the bowl game against Oregon state last year. And there was viral video, his very first play of scrimmage in live division one football he threw a 60 yard dime to Devin Tompkins for a touchdown. And so he, he didn't, beyond that, he didn't have an incredible game against Oregon state, but he, he did what he needed to do. And they won that game handily. And then into spring camp, I thought that was the most access we had to the team because all this, the practices in spring were public contrary to the fall, most of the fall ones. And he, Cooper Lega looked really, really good in spring, and also Bonner was injured, so Lega was running with the ones. And I thought his chemistry with Brian Cobb's, a new receiver from Maryland, and with Kyle Van Lewin, a Provo product who unfortunately is out of season with an ACL injury.
1: Yeah, um, High grab.
0: That's right. But I, I was like, this guy, this guy can play football, and so definitely, there's been some, uh, some noise from the fan base of like, hey, like if Bonner's not. Produce and like we need, and like let's see Cooper Lega and uh, Blake Anderson said, "Hey, Bonner won the job in fall camp. He outplayed Lega, and so you got to take the coach's word for it in a sense. Yeah. But at, at some point, if it, if it's not working, you have to imagine maybe there's something and so, something that I noticed from watching film in the UNLV game that I would like to add is something that they did to try to switch the variations and stuff was they they did a little bit of a play action where they had Bonner go out and keep the ball and run right and that was one of their ways to kind of break just this man-to-man press that UNLV was having where they were dropping they they had the guys man on the corners were man-to-man with the receivers but then the linebackers were all dropping in the coverage too so there wasn't really anything available and so what they were doing is they had bonner run more so than he regularly has and it didn't really work but there was one place specifically where he faked the handoff to calvin tyler jr this is the second quarter The entire UNLV defense swarmed to Calvin Tyler Jr. except for one linebacker. It's Bonner against the linebacker. Everybody else is on the other side of the field or they're down the field guarding the receivers. He beats this one guy, and it's minimal 20-yard gain. And what he does is he cuts inside instead of trying to beat him the outside, and he gets tackled one-yard gain. And watching that play, I'm like, if Cooper lay or the third stringer, Levi Williams, who transferred him from Wyoming, who can also run. If one of those guys was out there, they would have beaten that guy and gotten easy for first down. if that is their idea to kind of get the offense going is try to get the quarterback scrambling a little bit Bonner's not the guy for the job. Right. It like, if they're going to keep them, they need to figure out better passing schemes to get the receivers open. Right. If, if the answer is move, get a mobile quarterback, then put a mobile quarterback in there. That's actually going to make a play.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. Uh, and, and Coop is, I mean, I watched a lot of Coop in high school. He's definitely mobile. He's definitely shifty. You saw, you saw a bunch of that in the bowl game. He's got a nice arm, uh, but he's got a little. It's a little bit more pop gunny in some ways, which isn't a bad sure. thing. That's how I described Zach Wilson's arm, uh, and it's working out all right for him <laughs> in the NFL right now, right? So, uh, you know, Coop's got a little bit of a pop gunny arm, you know, but just a fast release gets the ball out quick, and he does give you a little bit more of like even when even when Bonner was healthy uh coop maybe gave you a little bit more of a quarterback run game that you may want to try here and there uh it's really funny you 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 brought up um kind of some wildcats games and that sort of thing BYU actually had a play like that last week against <laughs> wyoming where they lined up lopini katoa uh in the shotgun under center and um jaron hall was off of his hip it looked like they were ready to run a play there and then there's a false start penalty and that <laughs> kind of threw everything off and whatever. So we never got to actually see what was going to happen. Um but I wonder if that could be a possibility for tonight against the Aggies. Stay tuned. I don't know. We won't go too much farther into that because I wanted to get you out of here on this one, Jake. We we went up there to, to Logan last year and that was a cool environment, man. It just you could you could see how much the, the fans love it and love this game. So um you know, I'm not I'm not the guy that does the scheduling. That's that's on, on our administration. But uh, personally, yeah, I, I, I played in this. I, I remember being a fan cheering for for
0: BYU in these rival games and, and especially the games against Utah State. And so um I played in it and now I get the coach in it. So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. I, I you know that's that's just I don't have the control of that.
1: I know you gotta get going. I gotta get going. It's game day. You've got a long drive ahead of you. So let's let's just talk about the series in general. This is obviously it's this is the 100th year of the rivalry, 91st all-time meeting. Um, we mentioned before BYU's 50-37 and three all-time, um, including last year's win in uh, in Logan. It's one of the coolest rivalry trophies in all of college football, and if you don't agree with me, then that proves that it's at the very least underrated. Like it's an actual Pioneer Era, (laughs) wagon wheel. That's cool. Okay, I'm sorry. Come at me, sure, whatever. But that's cool, right? Um, but as of right now, it's the last game scheduled between these two teams, right? BYU's obviously joining the Big Twelve next year. Their schedule is about to get uh, really messy. And the two sides announced earlier this spring that they were cutting the final four games off of the current contract and. I mean, tonight's game, at least for now, is it. What do you see of the future of the rivalry, and do you think this is something that could be taken up again uh, anytime soon?
0: Well, Sean, before we get out of here, let me just tell you a a little personal story about this rivalry game that kind of contextualizes why it is so awesome. And obviously the BYU-Utah game gets a lot of the hype, and there's real animosity from there. But the the theme that's unique about the Utah State-BYU game is – I think that Utah State culturally is more similar to BYU than they are to Utah. I think the two schools are really, really similar, and there's so much family overlap. And so for me, I went to – I'm a senior at Utah State, right? My freshman year is 2018, right? And my parents are BYU graduates, classic story. I have a brother at BYU. So just very, very close ties, grew up cheering for BYU. This freshman year, this is before I'm into journalism, right? I'm deciding what team am I going to cheer for? This is Jordan Love against Tanner Mangum, 2018, down in Provo. And this is something that, as a devoted sports fan, this is something that I'm torn. This is something that I'm lying in my bed at night the week of the game thinking, who am I cheering for? Am I cheering for my family and BYU? Am I cheering for for my school and the Aggies? And um, I – I ultimately decided I was going to cheer for Utah state because that that's what I was a part of. And that's where I was going to school, but I didn't know how to tell my family that. And so I went to my house in Salt Lake city, the day of the game to pick some stuff up before I went down to Provo and I, I wore BYU gear to my family's house. Cause I didn't want them to know that I wasn't going to cheer for the Cougars. And then on my way down to Provo, I switched into Utah state gear. And so I show up to the game and I'm with some some of my friends from school wearing Utah state gear. Right. And it's going really great for the Aggies. This, they, they won that game handily. Great game. Yeah. Great game. Halftime, halftime of the game. I'm walking in the concourse. I know where my family has season tickets. I'm nowhere near them. I know I'm not going to run into them. Concourse I'm walking, walking around all of a sudden I run into my dad, my mom, and my little brother. And I'm decked out of my Utah state gear. we just run into them. And it was like, they saw a ghost. Like it, like it was, that was the day that out Jay of body got divorced experience.
1: from his family.
0: It was, I, I haven't been home since it's been, <laughs> so that we're that kidding. right we're there. Kidding. Yeah. We're just kidding. But we're kidding. Guys. That right there was uh that was uh, just a moment that for me, as ridiculous as it sounds, that was terrifying to run into my family and they're like, you're chairing for Utah state. And so that's something that for a lot of BYU fans that are from out of state and come in from elsewhere to go to school and stuff. Maybe they don't understand, but for people on the Wasatch Front and stuff, this game has so many personal ties like that. So many people have stories like that, and that's what makes it so awesome. And so the fact that it's ending, at least for the foreseeable future, is disappointing. Obviously, I'm sure, Sean, you've talked about some of the nuances and reasons for it. With BYU only has three non-conference games, and it's it's hard to do a home-and-home game with a G5 school. The athletic department up in Utah State, as long as John Hartwell's in charge, they will refuse to do a two for one or just go down to Provo. They only want home and homes, right? And so with kind of that, yeah, conflict, there's a little
1: bit of an impasse for sure.
0: It could be, it could be several years before we see this game again. So it's disappointing. It's the nature of college football. It's how it's going. Um, people are upset about it, but I I don't know if there's a, an immediate improvement or change that's gonna kind of change the change the way the series goes this might be it for a long time
1: yeah and and i mean i i know like obviously the last 50 years or so have been somewhat tilted in favor of byu in this rivalry but like for the old old timers you know the legendary longtime fans they'll even remember they'll point to the fact that utah state dominated this game for the first four or five decades of the rivalry. Um, obviously noted Utah state grad, former Aggie lineman, Lavelle Edwards changed a lot of that kind of revolutionized things, not just in Provo, but nationally in college football. Uh, and the rest is, was history as they say, but this was a game that even while, even while Lavelle was turning around BYU in so many ways, making them this, you know, this national product with this coast to coast fan base or whatever. Uh, he always said, I want to play my alma mater. We have to play Utah state. They Kept playing Utah State every year, and it and I'm with you like in so many ways, like this this insane rivalry really kind of characterizes the nature and the flavor of the state of Utah. Uh, it's really unfortunate that nothing's scheduled after this point. I think the game's going to come back, I really do. Um, it's probably not going to be immediate, it's going to take a couple of years, you know, maybe both sides sort of need to step away and realize what they have with it, but I do think it's going to come back, it's going to show up in in some shape or fashion or at the very least, how cool would it be to have like an LA bowl type of experience where, you know, Mountain West champion, uh, Utah state and number three team in the big 10 BYU or big 12 kind of sneaks into that spot in the LA bowl. Like um, I know it's technically a PAC 12 spot, but we're, we're pretending the PAC 12 doesn't fill out its bowl allotment, which surprise they almost never do every
0: year. Uh, like that who would, knows? That they would might still be
1: pretty cool. I think,
0: right? The, the Pac-12 might not exist anyway, so
1: that's true. That's true. Or Pac-10 or Pac-5, whatever it is at this point. Um, yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm with you not though. Yet. Like, I, I love this rivalry. I think it's a great scene. Um, I've even like I've been drumming the beat that it is a rivalry for ten or twelve years. As a lot of BYU fans have said, it's not really anymore. Um, I'm old enough to remember when Utah State. Did have a nice little run there in the early 90s through this thing. So um there uh there's still value in this. And and you are you are seeing even nationally, like yes, college football is changing, you know, bedlam's in, ending between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in a couple of years, but you're also seeing some older rivalries spring back up, Texas AM and Arkansas the other day because of AM's jump to the SEC. And I I you know it's gonna be great to see Texas and Texas AM play each other again. I don't think Bedlam's totally dead. I really don't. It might take a couple of years off, but I think it'll eventually come back. And I think the wagon wheels the same way it's, you know, it's probably not going to be immediate. It's really unfortunate for those of us who look forward to this game annually or close to annually, but I think eventually both sides are going to wind up coming back together and, and we're going to see, we're going to see this play out. Um, and I don't think it'll be too long. Hopefully again, knock on wood.
0: Um no, I'm, I hope you're right. Uh, it's, it's just an awesome game. Even in most recent years, BYU still had the edge, but it's kind of, Utah State's been a little bit more competitive. And so it, it is disappointing to see, like, oh, now it's, uh, and it, it just, it's so much fuel for, for Aggies fans. It's one of those things that you need in college football. You need rivalries really to help ignite fan bases and yeah. get people really excited. And what's going to get a Utah State fan more excited? A, a game against San Jose State that might have conference implications in november or a game against byu and it's not even a question right and yeah. so that aspect for the aggies losing that is disappointing i think that byu is going to find some of their fans are going to find that they miss it now if they have at the utah game once that returns that's going to that'll help that's going sure. to be the precipice that'll help yeah but that'll I, help
1: that'll I, always be yeah, number one but for sure i think there's room for both i do yeah in so, some. no we'll see I think we'll there's see. room for both in some form or fashion. It just might might take a couple of years to figure out exactly what that form looks like, but it's I can I can just about promise this, guys. It's not gone forever. It's not going to be gone forever. Um, what's the uh, What's the old saying? Um, don't say goodbye. Just say see you later. Um, That's right. From uh, what's that Breakfast Club? I think it was the Breakfast Club. I can't
0: remember. Um, Anywho, I was I was born in the the 21st century, so I don't I don't understand that that reference.
1: Now you're really making me feel old <laughs> and on that note kicking you off of this call <laughs> kicking you off of this podcast but thank you to jake nielsen for joining me um you can find all of his fantastic coverage over at ksl.com um and uh some stuff here and there also in the herald journal cheating on us a little bit but that's okay i i understand those are great guys up there at the hj uh fantastic aggie coverage there as well uh jake give us a social media shout out real quick before we get out of here. We're working. Jacob working Nielsen. the going to follow you: Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You can follow
0: me on Twitter at at Jacob Nielsen twelve, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about it. That's where uh, my professional prowess begins and ends is on Twitter. So, <laughs>
1: no TikTok yet, though.
0: I just just you wait. We'll we'll, we'll get a we'll couple of dances out. We'll work on it. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll do something this afternoon in the, in the press box.
1: Yeah, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. For Jacob Nielsen, I'm Sean Walker. This has been another edition of the ksl.com cougar beat podcast for uh september 29th 2022 uh byu utah state we'll see you guys after the game rockin' royal uh rockin' navy uh know you with me let's get it baby boys just came back from their mission we going crazy Kalani got no problems. You could call him Jay Z. Best fans up in the nation since the 1980s. Strange staff keep us working. Yeah, we never
0: lazy. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Coops is who they want now. Red is upstate and we don't do no uptown. No singing like a flute. We don't play around with no oops. or them Aggies up. In-